Let's bow our heads now in a word of prayer and invite the Lord to be speaking this morning. Our Father and our God, we come to you with a hunger and a desire for you to visit us, visit your people. Speak to our hearts because we know that the flesh is weak and we as men have nothing to add. But when the power of your Spirit comes and visits your people, it's evidenced by all of us. And we've been experiencing that already this week as messages have gone forth. We've sensed your presence and your power. And Father, over the years, camp has been, in a sense, a revival week when your people have come to be renewed and revived. And it's our hunger and our desire that it wouldn't just be for this week, but that the the rekindling that your Holy Spirit does in our hearts would continue past camp, and that we would take it home, and that the fire would grow, and that many could come to Christ. You've asked us in your word to pray to you, the Lord of the harvest, and that's what we want to do this morning. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you, the Lord of the harvest, would send forth your Holy Spirit, that you'd raise up laborers in your harvest, motivated and empowered by your Spirit to do the work that is before us. We know that the fields are white for harvest, and your word teaches that the laborers are few. Wake us up, Father. Help us to see the battle that rages. Help us to not be so sidetracked by the lifestyles and the culture that we live in, the countless hundreds and thousands are going to a Christless eternity because we're not entering into the battle for their souls. Teach us this morning, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, what your word teaches about the war. We know your word teaches that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in high or heavenly places. It's our prayer that we become aware of these things, that we enter in and call on you, that we call on the power of heaven to touch hearts and transform lives. Open our hearts this morning, we pray. May there be your Holy Spirit as the one that would teach and not your servant that stands before your people. We thank you for the privilege that we have of being here. We ask this all in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Come on in. Looks like we got another 20 or so out there. There's lots of room on this side, on that side. While they're coming in, I'll explain the format. Uh, I do have a series of slides and scriptures and some experiences to share. There will be a time at the end of uh, some interaction as well, some practical things of... uh, how we can take revival home. We're going to learn of some of the precedences of revival. For those that are interested uh, in doing more reading, I have 10 handouts that are 20 pages. We can make more as there's additional requests of revivals of the 1700s through the 1900s. And uh, some of them are in Europe, others are in North America, including Canada. And uh, they're very eye-opening. I was humbled and surprised, amazed 
at some of the things that God has done through his people when they called on his name. And there's a common thread that we find is that we're invited into the battle. And the war is lost if we don't join the fight. This is a lesson on spiritual warfare that's tied into praying for revival. And the Lord has given me a burden, a vision, if you will, for where are we going with this? What is the purpose? I believe that one of the biggest problems in North America and parts of the developed world, I'm sure many parts, is that we get sleepy and we don't even sense the need for revival to really what it ought to be. Until there's a wake-up call, perhaps, that the Spirit of God puts in the hearts of His people. And we need to be aware that we're in many places, not in all places, but in many places right now, losing a war that we can win. Historically, the church has been shown that it can win against the forces of darkness. It doesn't have to be that revival fires and spiritual fires eventually die out and churches close their doors. That can happen, but that's not God's plan. What are we going to do when we see a denomination that's not growing like it ought to be, at least in this country or in Canada and the United States? Maybe there are some of our churches that are growing, but uh, praise God, there is fires that are burning brightly. And uh, some of us have had the privilege of being to Ghana, Africa. You know, Brother Cheto was there. Um, and others, perhaps, and others of us have been to South America and uh, to Mexico, perhaps. And uh, there's other works of God in Korea, in the underground church in China. Uh, tremendous work has happened behind what was formerly the Iron Curtain. And uh, we hunger for things to happen in our time. And we're going to learn how that might be possible. We want to experience the power of God through spiritual warfare, praying. And this is a concept that is not easily understood. We know that the Bible talks about the weapons of our warfare, and that's a biblical principle. But let's be honest, is there a lot of teaching in our churches, in our time, about spiritual warfare? It's sporadic at best. And the Holy Spirit has put on my heart to raise the bar of understanding the battle that we're dealing with. The vision is that we would understand that the forces of darkness are gaining ground. And we're seeing families torn apart. We're seeing things happening in our culture and our time that shouldn't be happening. We're seeing a struggle for souls to come to salvation. Perhaps there's been times when it seems like there was more of a push and more of a, of a move. And now some churches are dry. And there isn't as many conversions as there ought to be. The forces of darkness are holding slaves captive in sin. We want to experience God's power more. And the third vision is to encourage prayer for revival in our personal lives and in our churches to experience a greater joy as we witness the power of God and His faithfulness in answering prayer. One of the most exciting things, I believe, in Christian living is when we're walking in step with the Spirit and God's power is evidenced that it's addictive in a good way. That it's more interesting and more uh, fascinating 
to see God at work in the hearts of those that we're connecting with than anything that this world has to offer. It gets really exciting. But it's not always that way. How do we get there that the Christian life can have that kind of fervor and that kind of joy? Well, there's some secrets that we can unlock from revivals of the past. In our own church, in the early church, and what we're going to do is we're going to discover that we're going to desire some of those revivals. My people perish because of lack of knowledge, is one of the verses in the Bible. And sometimes if we don't know any better, we can be lulled asleep by the patterns around us. And if we begin to see what God has done in the past, it will give us a desire for things to change. Another thing is to understand how much supernatural power is available to us today. Right now I'm reminded of a testimony that I read that in Atlanta, in the airport, there were satanic followers of the Church of Satan founded by Anton LaVey who were confronted by some Christians who were interested in a rumor. The rumor was that there's high-level ranking Satanists that are targeting Christian leaders. Is this true? The Satanist said, you betcha. We have a list of area pastors, and we're going after them. And there is a battle. And behind closed doors, in their rituals, they're calling on the forces of darkness to target Christian leaders. How many of you have experienced coming to camp or an assignment back home where you feel targeted in a particular season of time as maybe a teacher or Sunday school teacher or any sort of assignment? Do you feel sometimes that you're targeted just before an assignment? I see nodding of heads and, and there's no question about it. The enemy does not like when God's people are on the move. He does not like when there is the fire of God in preaching. He does not like spirit-filled believers. He does not like spirit-filled leaders or pastors, teachers. He doesn't want to see the church revived. So he's going to have a counter-strategy. And uh, in many places, we have seen throughout history that counter-strategy working. However... We have seen the power of God bring down strongholds by God's people that humble themselves and pray and agree together in prayer. We can't do it alone. But there's a fundamental principle that is timeless. It's from the days of old. These principles of revival that happened in the Old Testament that God promised still hold true in terms of calling on His name. The Holy Spirit is speaking that to us today as well. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. If there's ever a time when the land needs healing, it's now. There's broken homes. There's devastation on individual levels, church levels, 
And yet, God is doing certain things that are exciting in our land. And I feel right now led by the Spirit to, to interject at times with some things that are on the, the, uh, the slides. But how many of you are aware, um, in New York City in 1975, of what God did in a broken-down church of 22 people that was dwindling down to nothing in the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. How many of you have heard the story, raise your hand, of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church? So we have about 20 people. For the benefit of the rest, we have over 100, almost 200 here. I'd like to share, in a nutshell, how revival began there in a church not unlike ours. A lay pastor, someone who's not seminary trained. Jim Simbala was sent over by his father-in-law to a broken-down church. He was from New Jersey. He goes to Brooklyn, and it's down to 22 people. And he works hard, and he does what he thinks is the right things. They come to church. At times, they pray for people, too. And uh, they preach the word, and they try and reach out. And for a year or two, he doesn't get very far at all. And he's on a boat now on vacation in Florida. And he's broken. And he, he's frustrated. Why isn't anything going anywhere? Lord, what's going wrong? He cries out to God, and while others are fishing for these deep-sea fish with their deep-sea reels and rods, He's fishing for an answer. And he's looking up to heaven and tears are falling down his cheeks. And the still small voice of the Holy Spirit says, Teach them to call on my name. Teach them to come to me. And you will not lack. So he couldn't shake that impression, that clear voice. And he went back home. And he shared it with another pastor who was visiting in his church in Brooklyn. And uh, they made an announcement that Sunday night. And said, from this day forward, the measure of health of this church is not how many people show up on a Sunday night for the message. It will be on how many and how deep we go with God on our knees in prayer, calling on God. Tuesday night. It doesn't have to be a Tuesday night, of course. But they began a prayer-based church. They began to seek God at every level for every ministry that they were doing. And prayer became number one to push forward. Number one in teaching ministries, to undergird the teaching ministries. Number one in evangelism thrust. Number one in the music ministry, to pray for that music ministry. That the power of God would touch and anoint and move in every department of the church. And they began to see that the previous beating their heads against the wall with souls was transforming. And like a magnet, people were being drawn to this church. By the time he wrote his first book, The Testimony of What I'm Talking About, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, they had 5,000 believers. That was 1998, I believe. Now, it's more. And it's a prayer-focused, Bible-believing church that doesn't believe in the slick evangelism of easy believism, 
that doesn't believe in a lot of the gimmicks that the evangelical church has fallen for. They believe in crying out to God and watching addicts change, watching hard people come to Christ that are far from the Lord. And it's amazing what happens when God's people turn to him. The promises are there. And these are key verses that we want to take home with us. If two agree and ask it, he will do it. There's power in this. And uh, I'm going to ask you right now to formulate in your heart, as the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, any word of testimony towards the end that the, the Lord prompts you to share. Be ready when I call on you. The Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you and will continue to speak through to some of you this morning as we speak this topic or we, we share together. As there's testimony when two of you have agreed on something or a small group have prayed, I want you to share some of those later on. Here's a verse that we also need to clue into and really take to heart. That heaven... And God's principles set back in eternity have chosen to partner with men. Now, he sovereignly can step into space and time and dispatch angels and do things that we have no clue about. But he chooses, and many of you, we understand this in theory, but it's, it's a struggle to really apply this practically. But he chooses to wait on us, to join him on the plans, on the planet. When we tune in our receivers, so to speak, to the voice of the Holy Spirit, he chooses to ask us to pray it back to him for the thing to release. And if we don't get involved... A church, a community, a small group will not see the kind of results that we could see. The Spirit speaks to a heart about an idea. And just right now, he just popped a, a, a little word of testimony that some of you can identify with because it was from the New Jersey church. Tom, maybe you can remember this. Peter Bossert was, he's my brother-in-law, he married my sister Evelyn, and uh, there was a time when he was running from God, pretty clearly not interested in showing up in youth group in New Jersey. Am I right? And what happened? Tell us uh, what, what was the, the, the strategy that God put on the heart of, of uh, somebody in New Jersey with Peter. I, I think you can remember far back enough with that, or maybe somebody else from New Jersey remembers. I... I this experimenting in all different areas of religion and, and um, but I can't believe that I was small. I just remember um, what did the New Jersey CFG commit to do? You don't remember? Does anybody else from New Jersey remember? Willie, do you remember? No? They all made an agreement to collectively and individually target him for prayer. 
It looked hopeless. I mean, here's a guy with hair down to his uh, shoulders, not interested in church at all. It looked totally hopeless. And uh, I remember Joe Baca sharing some details of this as well, that uh, there was a clear targeting of one name, repeatedly coming before the Lord for that name. And he shows up at camp. And he shows up at the Syracuse outing for skiing and before you know it, um, I'm paired up with him in a cabin and uh, God is just working and he's asking a thousand questions and we have some prayer times together and uh, the Lord works in, in amazing ways and Peter was saved. And uh, this is just one small example of the power of agreeing together in prayer and the weapons of warfare of the blindness that comes down in the hearts of someone who the Bible says the God of this world has blinded the eyes of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel would shine on them. Another principle in spiritual warfare and a strategy of the enemy to keep the church powerless is when there's blocks of prayer and there's, there's sin in the camp, when there's trouble and we need to break free and there's things in our hearts that aren't right, and we need to learn this principle in the scripture in James 5. To confess our faults one to another, pray one with another that we may be healed. And this is something that we're just growing slowly into as a church. But uh, I, I feel convicted right now from the Holy Spirit to ask this question honestly right now. And I'm going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you in the last, let's say, month or two have had an opportunity to confess your faults one to another and have obeyed that still small voice and have done that. Raise your hand. Last month or two, I got about a third. Now I'm going to ask how many people in the last two weeks have opened up with somebody, confessed a struggle of some sort, and prayed with somebody in the last two weeks. Okay, now we're at about a third. This is a barometer that I'm getting as I, I travel our churches that we're not doing it enough in a span of two weeks that we haven't taken to heart the scripture enough. We need to, on a regular basis, have prayer accountability partners. And the question that we are asking is, can a revival happen today? What does it look like if revival would truly come? What, what would it really be like in terms of a look and feel? And can it happen to any generation? There is a lie from the pit that says that sovereignly God chose 1906 Azusa Street for a revival. Sovereignly God chose 1970 Ashbury College uh, for a three-day revival. No. God did not pick dates to break out that were against the will of men and just sovereignly steps in, there were those that were seeking his face as a precedent for every revival. And then he hears from heaven. And we're going to look at some of those examples in history. I want you to think about this question, the last one on this list. Would we welcome it if it came? If revival, like we're going to hear 
about in history came? Or would we be squirming a little bit and saying, you know what, this is uh, kind of uneasy because I can't really go on living the lifestyle that I've been living up till now. I struggled for a definition for revival. Uh, There is no one scripture that would talk about it. There's principles in scripture. I came across this one as a definition in the the testimonies that I've read throughout history of different revivals. And one revival historian said, and we're not talking about revival in some other area of science. Uh, I mean, the term is generic. It can be applied to different things. We're talking about Christian revival or evangelical revival, um, meaning revival of the gospel. It's an extraordinary work of God in which Christians repent of their sins as they become intensely aware of his presence in their midst. They manifest a positive response to God and renewed obedience to the known will of God, resulting in both a deepening of their individual and corporate experience with God and increased concern to win others to Christ is the fruit. Revival is not when just hundreds of lost people come to Christ and the church is sick. Okay? D.L. Moody expressed concern about a lukewarm church and the preaching that could happen at revival meetings and what do they go to? True revival is when the church of God is involved and people are one to Christ because of it, a testimony of God's people on fire. It was touched in the definition, but revival has genuine repentance and prayer. You can't have revival in the Old Testament or the New Testament without us being broken before God and admit that we've made some mistakes, admit that we're not really what we ought to be as a people of God. And the Holy Spirit will inspire some prayers. Uh, There's a reciprocal thing. As we open up to God, His Spirit pours out. And His Spirit breathes through us even more of what God wants to change. God's presence is experienced. And we've experienced that here at camp. One of the things that camp is, is a mini revival experience that has a certain amount of momentum, but too often, sadly, it's short-lived. But you can all remember an experience at camp where through the week there's a building of the presence of God. Prayers are going day after day. There's morning prayer meetings. There's afternoon prayer meetings. There's individuals, people breaking off in prayer. There's word being preached. There's music ministry. And the Spirit of God is working and building and cleansing and beginning a work that by Wednesday, Thursday, sometimes we've experienced the whole atmosphere of our general assembly is charged with the presence of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God. How many have experienced that presence? Raise your hand. Imagine if that could happen on a regular basis in your home churches. That when people come, they come under this presence powerfully on a more regular basis. That's one of the the looks and feels of revival. A burden to pray for others is characteristic of revival. When the Holy Spirit touches a life and God's power 
is poured out, there's no question about it. You'll have a burden, a burden for the lost and a burden to pray for others. Perhaps they're Christians that are struggling with something that you have a burden to pray for. The fruit of the Holy Spirit will be evident. And there'll be a joy and a passion to share our faith that can't be contained. There's going to be a fire that you can't contain. The first example of this was in the early church. Of course, those disciples that gathered in the upper room, I want you to just put yourself there. Jesus has told them, wait in Jerusalem for the promise. You'll receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, Jesus said before he went up. And then they witnessed him just ascend. And they're just amazed. There's this group of hundreds. They're just amazed at Jesus ascending up into the clouds. And their faith that was crushed at his crucifixion was resurrected with his physical resurrection. And now they had a promise, clear instructions. They're supposed to wait in Jerusalem. So they gather in an upper room. They had been praying for a replacement to Judas. And all of a sudden, the Bible says, when the day of Pentecost has fully come, there was a noise that went into the room, rushing like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled them. And they were just infused with power from on high. They didn't know enough about how to ask for that, in a sense of uh, how it was going to manifest. They didn't need to. That was God's job. Maybe they were just praying, Lord, send your spirit like you promised. We need you. We need your help. We need that power that you talked about to, b to do the work of the church. And it came with power. What if it happened here? What if there was a rush of wind right now in this room and uh, a manifestation of God's glory showed up here? Would we welcome it? Or would we say, Lord, stop. I don't want that. Right? I'm going to keep the name anonymous, but I feel the Holy Spirit leading me right now to share a testimony of the Holy Spirit visiting someone who went on their knees at night and prayed and said, Lord, send your spirit. Just fill me with your spirit. And this is somebody that uh, I know well, and uh, she shared this testimony with me. But uh, about three in the morning, the Holy Spirit visited the room and there was exactly this. Woke her up. The Spirit of God came on her. She fell to her knees and began to pray for the lost in her church. A passion for prayer like she had never experienced in her life. And this is possible in our time. It happened at Pentecost. Now let's flip a little closer to our time because we need to understand that these things are not foreign to the people of God. This just didn't happen 2,000 years ago and it, it can't happen again. It can't happen in our century. I can't, for the sake of time, of course, cover all of the revivals of history. There are many that happened 
previous to 1727. But uh, some of you have heard of the Moravian Church of the Brethren. These are Anabaptists in the 1700s. Let me just get a, a, a show of hands. How many have heard of the Moravian Church of the Brethren? Okay, about 30. These are people who believe in a genuine born-again experience, adult baptism, but were struggling in 1727. And early that year, they were a divided church. They were bickering about this and that, and they, of course, wanted to be a growing church. They wanted to be a church that sees God working, but they were seeing at that time, in early 1727, everything but that. The leader of uh, Herrenhut was a man, 27 years old, by the name of uh, Count Nicholas Zinzendorf. And uh, the congregation had basically been discouraged with some of their differences and began to resolve into their heart that the only way that they're going to solve this is going to God. They're going to commit to the Lord this problem. And uh, I want to give you some of the details of this because I believe it will wonderfully surprise us what happened. Wednesday, 13th of August, Herrenhut, Germany. No one present could tell exactly what happened to the Moravians on Wednesday morning, August 13th, at the specially called communion service. The glory of the Lord came upon them so powerfully that they hardly knew if they had been on earth or in heaven. Count Nicholas Zinzendorf, the young leader of that community, gave this account many years later. We needed to come to the communion with a sense of the loving nearness of the Savior. This was great comfort, which made this day a generation ago to be a festival because this day, 27 years ago, the congregation of Herrenhut assembled and we were all dissatisfied with themselves. They had quit judging each other because they had been convicted, each one by his lack of worth in the sight of God, and each felt himself at this communion to be in view of the noble countenance of the Savior. This firm confidence changed in them a single moment into happy people which they are to this day, and into the happiness that have since led thousands of others to Christ through the memory and the help which this heavenly grace once gave them, so many thousand times confirmed to them since. Zinzendorf described it as a sense of the nearness of Christ given to everyone present, and also to others in their community who worked elsewhere at that time. The congregation was young. Zinzendorf, the human leader, was 27 and about the average age of the group. Their missionary zeal began with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Count Zinzendorf observed, The Savior permitted us to come upon a spirit of whom we hitherto had not experienced or had knowledge of. Hitherto we had been leaders and helpers. Now the Holy Spirit himself took full control of everything and everybody. Prayer precedes Pentecost. You can join me in reading this. The disgruntled community at Herrenhut early in 1727 was deeply divided and critical one of another. Heated controversies threatened to disrupt the community. 
The majority were from the ancient Moravian Church of the Brethren. Others were attracted to Herrenhut, including Lutherans, Reformed, and Anabaptists. They argued about predestination, holiness, and baptism. At Herrenhut, Zinzendorf visited all the adult members of this deeply divided community. He drew up a covenant calling on them to seek out and emphasize the points at which they agreed, rather than stressing on their differences. On the 12th of May, 1727, they all signed that agreement. On July 22nd, many of the community covenanted together on their own accord to meet often and pour out their prayers. Pour out their hearts in prayer and hymns. So get this picture. They're burdened, God is working, and now they're agreeing to gather together on a regular basis for prayer. And prayer momentum is, is gaining. On August 5th, the Count spent a whole night in prayer with about 12 or 14 others, following a large prayer meeting for prayer at midnight, where great emotion prevailed. They were pouring out their hearts to God. On Sunday, August 12th, Pastor Roth led the service at Herrenhut and was overwhelmed by the power of the Lord at about noon. He sank down to the dust before the Lord. So did the whole congregation. They continued till midnight in prayer and singing, weeping, and praying. On Wednesday, the 13th of August, the Holy Spirit was poured out on all of them. Their prayers were answered in ways far beyond anyone's expectations. Many of them decided to set aside certain times of earnest prayer. When God visits a group, an individual, and it doesn't always happen collectively, God can do this for one person who seeks his face and the Spirit is poured out, His touch is unmistakable. There, there was one point that I wanted to mention with them. They, they began to set up a regular prayer meeting that was hour after hour, organized, slotted prayer, continuous prayer effort that lasted 100 years. They had much like at the times of our elders' meeting where you can sign up for prayer, they had 100 years and revival broke forth. In the United States, in 1857, and this totally surprised me, because many of us that grow up in North America kind of think you got a handle on some of the things that have happened in this country or in Canada, and uh, we're pleasantly surprised sometimes by history showing us that there's a lot of things that get forgotten. And uh, the events pass, and the enemy can get the upper hand sometimes again. But in 1857, there was a, an incredible move of God that happened in New York City. And uh, as I researched it more, I found out that uh, it actually possibly had its beginning in Hamilton, or paralleled in Hamilton. I'm going to read a, a snapshot of an account that happened at a revival meeting in Hamilton and then continue in New York City. It says, Revival broke out at evangelistic meetings led by Walter and Phoebe Pamer in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, October 1857. Attendance reached up to 6,000. Five to 600 were converted. 
including many civic leaders. Walter, actually it's Palmer, not Pamer. Walter Palmer, a holiness Methodist physician assisted by his wife Phoebe, had a tremendous impact on the Methodist and the wider church. It later talks about uh, this uh, being a, a theme of prayer that seemed to have crossed over the border and then continued in New York City and, and on Fulton Street. The interesting thing that happened in New York City was one man, a 46-year-old businessman, printed these little leaflets that said, how often should I pray? And began to hand them out in New York City. And the very first prayer meeting, there was only about six people that showed up. And uh, later on, incredible things started happening. As it turned into the next uh, uh, year, by March, the prayer meetings in New York had 6,000 attending. And it spread to Pittsburgh, Washington. By May, 50,000 of New York's 80,000 people were new converts. And a newspaper reported that New England was profoundly changed by the revival. Several towns, there were no unconverted adults. It was fascinating reading this. Can you imagine a town where formerly, let's imagine it's a town of 5,000. The Spirit of God moved so powerfully in that town that the police had nothing to do anymore. And they formed barber shop style quartets. It happened. That's how powerful Pentecost style move of God happened. And uh, they just, for a wave or for a season, there was little crime in the city. And uh, they had little to do. How did it start? It started by people praying, humbling themselves and praying. And for those that are interested, I have these handouts here. Um, there's 10 copies of the History of Revival right up to the 1900s. And I have 50 copies of this one here. This is the New York Revival that gives a lot of details of uh, what happened in New York City. Um, it just is so encouraging to hear the, the canopy of power of the Holy Spirit that began, much like the atmosphere that we experience here at camp as the week builds, that began to hover over cities and people would be under conviction as they rode into town on horse and buggy. Imagine this. The town has experienced revival and renewal. There's so much prayer happening. The Spirit of God is over that city. Somebody from a neighboring town, as they enter the city without any preaching, they come in contact with this presence of the Holy Spirit and they begin to feel conviction of sin. And then they go to one meeting and they just fall under the conviction so badly they're in tears before the Lord. That's the power of God. That's the kind of power that was released, released at, ten, uh, at Pentecost. And you can read about it in that history uh, testimony there. You can come up and, and grab that later. It just seems like time goes so quickly. Recapping today's situation, we know that we have a need. 
there is in too many places a spirit of prayerlessness. And uh, I've done surveys to, to sense what's going on, and, and less than 5% meet on a regular basis to, to pray. Too many of us are not in, inter, or entering into consistent intercessory prayer in small groups. Many of our churches do not have small group prayer meetings in homes like the early church did. And our forefathers in the Anabaptists. There was meetings in homes an awful lot in the heritage that we have in the Anabaptist revivals. And there was a lot of prayer, a lot of hymns. How did we get here? Why is the situation the way it is? Well, I believe that a lot of it is because of our prosperity. And sometimes it takes a trip into less prosperous lands to get a wake-up call to what we really have and to how it's affected us and to, to open up our hearts. And I believe that we can do that by traveling, but we can also do it by being open to missions and bringing the needs around the world to us. Another problem is today's culture in North America is filled with too much independent living. We have insurance policies that seem to cover every incident nowadays, and we hardly even need our brothers and sisters anymore to really get through things. We don't pray like we ought to pray when trouble comes. We call our insurance broker. Right? Let's be honest. And uh, this is affecting the prayer atmosphere of the church. And it can change. Another thing that we need to start doing that was more natural in the smaller group home settings in Freilich's time, and uh, the other home group meetings of the early church, was a testimony. It would be so natural for a, a person to stand up and say what God has done in the life of his neighbor or in their family's life. And as our churches got larger and protocol started going more in place, we forgot the importance of testimony other than maybe at camp and special occasions. But we need more testimonies in our church of God's power. And it will change the attitudes of, of revival. Prayer really can make a difference. And uh, we can partner with God in prayer, especially as we see the spiritual battle raising. And I feel the Holy Spirit leading me to share one testimony. And uh, I have it written down in here, and then I'd like to open it up for some more testimonies of uh, prayers making a difference and changing our attitudes towards prayer and revival. In Kitchener, and please know that I share this with motivation only to give God glory and praise. This is not to praise anybody in our home church. This is the Spirit of God prompting some things to happen there that perhaps, and I feel ashamed, that could have happened for 15 years and have not happened. But in 2004, a brother in the Kitchener Church and myself had led, felt led to, to start a small group, Bible discussion and prayer, for the purpose of working with those that are interested in the gospel that perhaps were touched at camp and perhaps are just from our home church that we can see have a hunger and an interest. And, uh, but they're just struggling. There's a battle going on. And, and too many times after camp, it all fizzles out and nothing happens. And so we began to write down names. 
in a prayer journal. And uh, it also spread to Hamilton, where we began to, to write down some names of people that we were targeting for prayer. And uh, I have permission of, of many of these names, uh, and, and those that are saved now, I'm sure it's just a, a testimony to God. But we began, began to pray for Matt Nitz and for Aiden Famer and for others that we knew God wanted to touch. And uh, there's so many um, on our list, uh, Michael Kovac and Christine Kovac and, and others, uh, uh, Jeff Bauman, um, Ben Bauman. And we felt the Spirit of God touching us to begin to pray specifically week after week, meeting after meeting for names. And something amazing happened. We shouldn't be surprised with this, right? But something wonderfully amazing happened is the effectiveness of answers to prayer and strongholds of the enemy came down, and in some cases came down fast, where we began to see noticeable changes in the lives of people. We saw some alcoholics delivered. Someone in prison, physically, literally, prayed right out of that and prayed into Teen Challenge and prayed right into the kingdom of God because the strongholds of the enemy were touched by the power of God. And I was so humbled. And often I would think, God, you want to answer prayers like this, but where has our faith been for agreeing together like this? And once we began to see a momentum grow, we began to pray more. And this is infectious. It begins to grow on you. And, and you begin to pray more and more. And uh, the enemy's strategy is to snuff this out, of course. He'll distract us with work challenges and with other things to see if he can get us to doing something other than the work of the kingdom. And uh, it was uh, then in uh, January of 06 that uh, my sister or my uh, cousin Ellie Zimmerman said, Fred, come to Hamilton and, and uh, help us start a prayer meeting. And I felt the Holy Spirit leading me to go to Hamilton to share the testimonies of answered prayer that God was working in the hearts of, of people in Kitchener. We had two baptisms in one year. We hadn't seen that in, in a long, long time in the Kitchener Church. And uh, since this, we've had three baptisms. And I believe that the enemy's strategy is to just shut this whole thing down. That there'll be another five years where there's very little fruit. But God's desire is that God's people would wake up. That we would together in larger numbers call on his name. And we'll see baptism after baptism Souls won for Christ in our churches. But this is very interesting. In Hamilton, January 22nd, 06, we had a meeting. We shared some of the testimonies of God touching lives. And the Spirit began to stir. And we began to weep before the Lord. All of us. There was a group of about eight of us. There was parents that had prayed for their kids for a long time, and saw very little fruit. I'm thinking right now of one of the fathers. And I know that there's been couples wanting 
transformation and wondering what's it going to take to touch these souls. And we began, after the time of sharing and testimony was done, to write down names. And some of you know these names. I want to share them publicly to give God glory because they're converted. Rory Schlarp, Eric Weinhart, Natalie Schlarp, Wesley Sharp, Lucas Ardalian, Alicia Ardalian, Amanda Schlarp. There's, there's a lot of names that we, in that spirit-led broken state, began, and there's more on the list. I didn't read them all. They're, they were touched, and before camp even that year, and I was just so encouraged by the testimony, Frank, of your son, Eric, that he shared the, the power of God touched him with an accident that woke him up. And, and uh, it was incredible, the circumstances that started playing out when God's Spirit began to move and orchestrate things. And the prayer meetings continued in Hamilton. Irene Schlarp shared with me that she had a prayer journal and began to write down the names of the kids in the Hamilton church, and others were praying persistently for these people. And this isn't limited geographically. God can move anywhere. I'm sharing these testimonies not to praise anybody in Hamilton or in Kitchener, but to show what God can do in our time. And uh, there's been a lot of baptisms recently as we seek God's face in prayer. At this point, I'd like to open it up. Is there anyone that has a word of testimony that you'd like to share? Something that God is doing in your midst. Maybe we have a mic that uh, can roam up there, or should I call them down? Do you feel comfortable coming down and sharing with the mic, please? I'll try not to take too long, but um, maybe 20 years back or so, or the beginning of our church in Takati, it was a very small group, mostly women. There were two older brothers converted, and my husband, who was a young brother, but we really saw the need for men, and I can't remember where we prayed, if it was at home or church, but I know we spoke about that. We need to pray for men in God's church leaders. And we thank God after that. We had a baptism about 14, and most all of them were men too. And we just praise God for his answer to that. And something more recently that's happened, we have, Takati is a difficult place. I think there's a lot of drug dealing. It's a bad environment, I think, for many of our young people. Um, but we had some rebellion among young people and especially there was one boy that I think was considered the ringleader. He was obviously in church meetings, restless, getting up, going out, making noise, making fun of things. And we've been praying for the young people and just this last year we've, he has surrendered his life to the Lord and at his birthday in January they had, we had a group of maybe 30 young people over there, and the young people would say, give a comment to encourage him, happy birthday, or God bless you. Or, and then they said, do you want to say something? He broke down and cried, and he said, I want to tell you, all of my friends, to change, to come to know the Lord, because I want to be with you in heaven. And that, was, that has changed the, our young group a lot, because there have been people that were close, interested, but this guy was the seems the least interest of anybody, but God has changed his life, and we thank the Lord for that because he's working through many others of the young people. Thank you, Sister Kathy. 
God is so faithful. He wants to do it in our time. I want to say with the unction of the Holy Spirit this morning that the measure of the health of our fellowship will be, are we going to be a people of prayer? Are we going to come before the Lord and call on His name? I want to challenge you to come to the afternoon prayer meeting at 6.15. Come to the morning prayer meeting, 6.45, quarter to 7. Pour out your hearts to God. Agree in prayer. You don't necessarily have to be publicly praying. Just groan in your hearts with the names that are written up on the board. That's where heaven is touched and supernatural power is released. And when you begin to enter into it, it's a wonderful thing. Any other uh, testimonies? Uh, was there any other hands that, that went up? Um, I know it's not common for young people to typically have something that they could really testify about, but um, to the glory of God, and not even a year ago, um, another young sister in Christ and a very good friend of mine um, shared with me that she had a passion for the youth and for the young women in our, in our faith to unify in something that we call prayer group. Um, so what we've done and thankfully, it's grown to over 50 girls at this point. Um, something we call like a Monday morning faith email, where we just have prayer requests throughout the week, encouragement, testimonies, um, anything that the girls have on their hearts. And I encourage all the young girls, and even you know, the young men, start an email or start some kind of prayer group, because especially with the youth being the future and the generations you know, to come, who are going to be the foundation for our church and our faith, um, that it's really important for us to grow spiritually and really have a strength and unity in prayer. So we're really thankful as, as young girls, you know, converted and non-converted all together in this prayer group that internationally we have this connection, you know, on a regular basis where we can really open our hearts to one another. So we're really thankful for that. Thank you. For those that don't know and aren't subscribing yet to it, uh, there is a prayer email list uh, nationwide, international actually, that uh, is set up by the Mission Board of Canada. And uh, you can uh, receive regular prayer requests that come from prayer at, or, or just send a request to prayer at accmbc.org, and it will go to thousands of uh, believers in our denomination. Um, for those that have commitments, uh, you are welcome to, to leave. We are going to have a, a, a finishing prayer. Is there any questions uh, that have come up uh, right now? I want to uh, just uh, finish up with some key scripture verses and then a, 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 a prayer time. Um, camp is one of these things that's got a lot of schedules, uh, and, and certainly I want to, those that f feel a need to, to head out immediately to do that. It's right now at exactly 20 till when it ends. But for the rest that feel the Spirit stirring, if you'd like to stay behind, uh, we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to, to move in our hearts, to move in our churches. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to, to come and to continue here at camp, and uh, to just ask that he light fires back in our home churches. He can do it in our time. And, and uh, we want to uh, just all 
bow our heads and agree in prayer and groan in prayer together for, for the Holy Spirit to, to move and, and to bring renewal and revival in our time. Won't you join me in, in, in bowing your heads in prayer right now? Father in heaven, you've said in your word, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. We want to do that. We want to humble ourselves right now and pray. We want to seek your face. We recognize, Father, that there's not enough growth in our churches. We recognize, Father, that we have been slothful at times in prayer. Father, we admit to you that we aren't as zealous as we ought to be, as some of our forefathers have been. We ask that you'd forgive us. We pray, Father, that a spirit of repentance would come over us as a people of God. We pray that we could hunger for revival and renewal in our time. We pray that we could hunger for souls to come to Christ. That there are countless going to eternity without salvation. And that it is possible in our time to see wonderful results. Father, there are broken lives right now that are all around us. Some of them are our friends. Some of them are our families. And they're going to a Christless eternity. Help us, Father, to enter into the battle, to wage a war against the forces of darkness, to pray for loved ones that the blindness that the enemy has caused and the strongholds that he has in their life would be broken through the authority of the name of Jesus. Teach us to pray in the authority of the name of Jesus. Father, teach us to have a burden on a regular basis, not just once or twice a year, but to continually come to you and persist like the persistent widow where you taught that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Father, give us that kind of passion for prayer and forgive us when we are not entering into the power, the supernatural power that can be released from heaven above by our obedience to the voice of the Spirit that draws us to our knees and into your presence. Teach us, Lord, to come into your presence privately. Teach us to invite you to fill us. We need you, Father. We need your Holy Spirit in our time. And we think of the songwriter that said, Come, Holy Spirit, dark is the hour. We need your filling, your love, and your mighty power. Move now among us, fill us, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, revive the church today. May that be our prayer privately when we go to our rooms in our prayer walks, as we drive perhaps to work, as we connect with a friend and open up our hearts one to another, that we can pray, come Holy Spirit, come in our time, visit your people. And we pray for a move of God, Father, not only here at camp, and we do pray right now for camp, but we also pray, Father, that there would be a powerful move of your Spirit at the, our churches back home, that you'd anoint leaders, ministers, and do them with power from on high. Father, like you did in the early church, like you did during the Reformation times, like you did through the revivals through history, 
where your spirit was poured out on lay people and leaders alike. We ask for that in our time, that your spirit would move, that we would have a desire for holiness, that we would have a desire to seek your face and to set aside the weights that so easily beset us, and that we'd be focused on the work of the kingdom and the souls that need to be saved. Father, help us to be soul winners. We pray, we cry out to you. And we thank you that you are moving this week. We thank you for the moving of your spirit this morning. And we ask that you continue to stir our hearts, Lord. We pray that you would powerfully visit us in the coming days and weeks. We ask this all in the wonderful name of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Once again, we have handouts here. There's uh, testimonies from New York, and these are the the ones here for the uh, history of revival. Please come forward.